Hello and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. I am your host, Justin Libernet. Today we're doing the Fraudcast. We're talking about rental scams, how they work, kind of like psychology of how they work, the impact on consumers and the impact on business, and also what you can do to try and help protect yourself from these scams, both as an owner, both as a resident, as a manager, wherever you happen to fall into this space, there's things you can do to try and get the help or get the, the signs in front of people to say, this is problematic. Here's what you need to do. So let's start with kind of talking about the common ways this kind of rolls out. So there's a, a stack of reporting that the FBI has done to collect the data on this, but it tends to be an underreported issue because most of the people that it happens to are supremely embarrassed that it happened to them. They think of themselves as reasonable people who would never be caught in this. And they're kind of told there's not much to be done. So to think through the most common type of scam, the one that's affected the single family rental industry the most, you have to kind of remember the mindset that somebody looking for residence is in. There's a huge range in that, of course. There's people that have no problem with funds and they're just looking for a new place and going to bounce over. But there's this spot, this this very painful spot to be in where you need housing for some reason. You need bigger housing for some reason, especially during the pandemic when we saw people that were a two-parent household with two kids living in a two-bedroom apartment, everybody having to homeschool. Maybe one parent was service industry, so they were still kind of going in and another parent was work from home. You all of a sudden have this crunch, this real pressure on that space. And if you're living in a two-bedroom apartment, that's costing you anywhere from $600 to $1,200 a month, depending on where you're at. It could be more. We'll leave New York and San Francisco alone for a minute. But if you're living there and you're looking around and going, I need more space, and your lease is 60, 90 days out from being renewed, you start looking around and going, okay, well, what could we get? You go on Craigslist and start looking around and put in the top limit. You want to stay around 1200 bucks still. And while you're looking through those listings, there's a property that's posted. It's a three bedroom, two bath for $1,200 a month. So for similar price that you're paying now, you get more space, a garage, a yard, just so much more for your money. And you think this is amazing. This is so great. You reach out, probably email, possibly text, maybe call. And when you get a hold of somebody on their side, the other side, they say, yeah, you know what? We're going on a mission trip. And because we're going on a mission trip, we're looking for somebody who's who's godly to bless with a cheaper rent. And so we'd like to have you take a look. You seem like a godly person. Go check it out. Or you get somebody that says, yeah, I'm, I'm in the military. I'm subsidized by the government. I'm getting sent overseas. And so I, I need somebody that's neat like I am. I need a tidy person to rent to. And you think to yourself, well, I'm a godly person or I'm a clean person. That that makes sense. This is that little gap. That, that makes perfect sense. And you go and you visit the property and you're able to access it through a little box on it, a little code box. And once you're inside and looking around, you go, this is great. This will work. You reach back out to the person and you say, I'm in. What do I need to do? Cool, they say. First month and deposit and we can get you moved in. Matter of fact, keep the key that's in the box, go ahead and move in. 
So you sign a lease, you wire money, usually through something that's not refundable. So a literal wire or Zelle or cashier's check. And then you move in. And a couple of days later, somebody knocks on the door. Says, what are you doing here? Say, I moved in. I live here. Who are you? They say, I'm the company that owns this house. I'm the company that operates this house. You don't have a lease. You have to either apply to live here and succeed, or you have to move out. And you think to yourself, well, this sounds insane. I talked to this person. You try to reach out to the person that you signed a lease with, and they are unreachable. They are not there. And the company at the door shows you paperwork and says you can either apply and clear or you can leave or you can get evicted. Those are your choices. And it sucks. And you feel so ashamed in yourself of what happened. You start looking around and finding out that this happens often. This just keeps happening. You go, crap, how do I get my money back? Can you guys help me? What, what do I do? And the company at the door says, this is not us. This was another company. So you need to go to the police, talk to them, file a report, see if they can do anything. You go to the police and the police can't help. You've spent your first month in deposit, all the money you had saved. You'll, you'll try to apply with the company and see if you can get it, but you don't have the funds for it. And then you're sitting there looking down the barrel of having nowhere to move to and no way out of this situation. And you're just stuck. And that's got to feel awful to go from that level of excitement of finding a place that worked for you to that place where you're just stuck. It's got to be awful. So what we see with these frauds is there's a couple of different kinds of them. The most prevalent one that we see in single family rentals specifically is the false listing scam. So they're putting up a listing that either does not exist is a property that's occupied by somebody else and they're posting across state lines, or it's a property that's managed by a company that allows for remote showings. These three kind of spaces have different ways they trickle out. Usually if you post the one of the first two, the property that somebody else owns or a property that actually doesn't even exist, you're just chasing application fees. And so you get people in and you go, you know, you, you gotta pay the application fee to get in and see the house first. We're not letting people see it unless they clear the application fee. There's people in it already. If you want to be first in line, you've got to pay the application fee. But once you've paid that fee, which they have you do for some reason through Zelle or wire transfer or some non-returnable kind of deposit, they bounce. They're gone. They don't talk to you anymore. There are cases where people have posted and are looking for somebody who's trying to move. So when they get the reach outs and people are saying, hey, I wanna see the house, I'd like to see the house. They go, okay, where are you at? Where are you at living? And once they find somebody out of state or a student about to move to that state or somebody that's gonna move for a job, they go, cool, you know, um, you can see it when you get in, but I've got a long line of people, so you'll want to pay me to secure it and then I'll arrange your arrival. And then they pay and the day comes to move and they move cross state lines and they're sitting in front of this house with a moving van and that house is owner occupied. It's not even a rental. It's just sitting there with people in it, looking out the door at you going, why are you here with a moving van at my house? Please go away. And then you're stuck. Again, you're stuck. 
these different kinds of scams, these different kinds of ways of kind of pulling money out are all just kind of inserted into the space of rentals now. And the two biggest culprits there are Craigslist and Facebook. They have unpoliced marketplaces. There's no mediation of postings on their behalf. There's some markets where Craigslist charges for posting for housing, but even in those markets, there's fraud. And beyond fraud, there's bait and switch stuff. New York is notorious for having agent fees and then fee-free buildings to live in and different kinds of brokers. And so people will post fee-free buildings and then take and show you only fee buildings, only places that they get paid to put you in or that you have to pay them to be put in. So there's there's that constant kind of shystiness around that edge of the business, especially in Craigslist and Facebook. Um, Zillow, so big guy in the room for listings. Zillow had a real problem with fraudulent listings where people would post the exact same address but put number B or apartment B, number two, whatever they'd put at the end to make it a slightly different address. And then you see two dots stacked on the Zillow listing and one of them is a super cheap place. And so you contact them and you get defrauded through Zillow. Zillow has made huge strides in figuring out how to identify those frauds and delist them. And they've gotten extremely good at it. And the number of frauds that I've seen come in from Zillow has dropped to virtually none. And let's give a timeline for how long I've been doing this. So I've, I've been doing this since 2016. We've been chasing fraud. Um, 2015, we were aware of it. 2016, we really made a concerted effort to chase it down. And during that time, during the last eight years now, seven years, eight years, a while, we've gone through a lot of iterations on how to address the fraud problem at different organizations I've been a part of um, in talking to larger national companies that are having the same issues. The National Rental Home Council has worked together with First Key Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, Tricon Residential, all these different companies and gone, okay, what do we do? How do we try and remedy this? And shared best practices. And we continue to share those best practices and talk across the industry to try and stop this from happening because we don't want people in that situation. It's an awful place to be. So in the beginning, we would chase the fraud as soon as we had any awareness of fraud and how that often happened is somebody would see an ad on Craigslist. They'd Google the address. They'd bump into our listing and call us. We go, Oh, we're glad you called. Yeah, you can totally tour it, but the rent's actually this much. Let us know if you like what you see. Then we'd go and we'd find that address everywhere we could and check for fraud and pull them down. We had an active group of people seeking and destroying fraud, mostly on Craigslist and Facebook. Back then, we also were pulling from Zillow, Apartments.com, Homes.com, Rentals.com. But it was an active process. It was super time-intensive and labor-intensive to both get people to tell us about these frauds and then track them down. That slowly evolved into a change in the messaging. So we started doing agentless showings really early on at American Homes for Rent. And at American Homes for Rent, the point of agentless showings wasn't that we didn't have agents. It was just that it was more convenient and better for the resident, future residents' time to be able to schedule a tour anytime they wanted. If you're in front of the house and calling and going, hey, I see your yard sign. Is it for rent? We go, yeah, matter of fact, you can go inside right now. That's super convenient for the customer. And for a while, there was back and forth trying to decide if it was worth the 
headache of some of the fraud stories we were getting because the news would cover the news loves the story where hey this person lost their property and now they have nowhere to live that's a great news story i totally agree public interest side it's super compelling and i will stress this there's on the other side of it there's this really tight hold that for a long time the large institutional single-family rental companies did where they did not want to give any comment to the press. They didn't want to say anything to the press. That's largely changed late with the National Rental Home Council. And towards the end of 2018, we finally got a standard piece that we'd give out and go, here is our response to this issue. Here's how people can protect themselves. Here's what we're doing. And even just having those news stories in circulation helps bring people's awareness to a level where they understand that this is something that happened. So for a while, there was serious discussion in the media and in a couple of venues about whether or not an agent has to be present at a showing to prevent this level of fraud. The problem with that, and I think the big thing that we recognized from our side, is that it, it inconveniences the future resident on when they're able to tour the homes because then they can only tour when there's somebody else available on the other side and the other side is for us it adds cost to leasing properties that if there's more cost that has to be absorbed somewhere it's either going to go towards rent or operating overhead it's it's going to kick it right so that increases the cost of renting a property and that's not what we're chasing here we're trying to make it equitable on all the sides so the stories that circulated then really didn't give space and depth to the problem. So while I was at my last company, this is with American Homes for Rent, and I've talked to Sparkle over at First Key, and I've talked to Nicole when she was at Tricon. And when we talk about this stuff, the level of incident at any given time in a portfolio that was, during this time that I'm talking about, was anywhere from 40 to 50,000 properties with maybe 1,000 to 2,000 properties on the market we'd have maybe two that were currently being had somebody in it that was had been scammed so yes it's it's happening but it's not as giant a problem it is however an extremely huge problem to the person it happens to like that's such a devastating spot and so there's this this media call out on look at how devastated this person is crushed by the capitalism of single family rentals and their refusal to put people in the home when we're doing a lot to try and prevent this stuff so when we talk about ways to keep this stuff from happening i'm going to talk about two parts i'm going to talk about what we did and what we continue to do to try and push this safety spot I'm going to talk about what the scammers do to counter that. And I'm going to talk about the different kind of resident renter identities that kind of hit this at different levels. So when you talk about people getting defrauded, there's several layers that they go through before they're sending money, right? So they're finding the ad and then they're talking to somebody or communicating and going, yep, I do want it. And then sending money for an application or they're going to tour the property and then saying, yes, I want it and sending money after after you know not really meeting anybody. And where we're able to insert friction as an owner operator, as a property management company, wherever we can insert friction that makes the resident or future resident question the veracity of the listing, we have a chance to help stop that fraud from occurring. And we know this is the case because we set up a fraud number and that fraud phone number was connected to 
stickers in the property that said this house is operated by. If you've been talking to anybody else, it's likely you could be the victim of a scam. Call us immediately. We put it in the text messages when we're sending out the the code to the door. So when you get the code information, it pops up. It goes, hey, here's your code. This property is operated by this company. If anybody else is representing it, you should call us immediately, right? So we inject all these spots in there where we can. And this is across the industry. Everybody's doing this. We put that in there where we can to say, careful, are you sure? Are you talking to us? And once we put those things in place, we saw a drop in the amount of listings and the amount of defrauded people. We watermarked our photos when we could. We tried a whole bunch of things. And then the scammers changed their tactic. When they got a hold of somebody that was on the hook, they did one of two things. One of the things they would do is say, oh, yeah, I was working with that company, but I'm not anymore. Matter of fact, since I'm not paying them, that's part of the reason I'm offering it to you at a lower rate. So I own the house. They were showing it for me, but I don't want to pay them. Let's just do it around the side and not worry about them, which is one way to talk a hopeful resident who's seeing this deal into believing it, right? The other one that we'd see quite often was, yep, you're right. It is owned and operated by them. I'm with them. They'd make leases that had our name and logo. They'd countersign as us. The one thing they didn't have was an email or a phone number that in any way connected to us. And so they, they talked as if they were an agent repping the company and walked them all the way through. And it was enough to get these individuals to not question while they were wiring money to Scott Mitchell in Arizona or you know, sending it to a random box or doing a Walmart walk-in payment to a certain number. They didn't question it because the deal was so good and they wanted to believe. So in response to that, you know, we keep pushing harder on this, finding the fraudulent listings and stopping them in their tracks. Um, First Key did some really good work with writing some AI scrubber bots. Um that ran on Craigslist and Facebook and tried to find these listings. They were finding other companies' listings and taking them down as well because there's stuff that starts to be recognizable in there. So I'm sure you guys all remember the Nigerian print scam, right? You get an email from somebody that you've never heard of and it says, hi, I am this person. I'm a Nigerian prince. I need your help to get my money out of the country. It's all locked up, but I have millions of dollars. It's going to be a huge windfall for you. You just got to send me some money to help me get to where I can access my money to get it to you. Like like that kind of thing, right? So there was some research done on this and those typo, poorly written, crappy emails that came in were written crappily on purpose. It turned out to be beneficial for the scammer to have a worse email because then people that were less likely to believe it didn't call. The people that did call were what they legally sometimes call unsophisticated, which just means they they weren't, it's a naivete, right? It's a, they, they believed it. And so in that same way, we started seeing these listings where they were posting and they list the address, but instead of writing the address one, two, three main street, they'd write one, a number, 
T-W-O, and then the number three. They'd have typos and grammatical errors. And again, they started filtering the people who were more likely to catch on, which adds to this downstream piece where they just kind of bounce into the next step. And it's not hard to lead them down the primrose path and go, yeah, everything's fine. It's all flowers and roses. Send your money, take the key, move on in. And then we're knocking on the door a couple days later going, why are you here? We had reports that people want to tour and can't. Why are you here? So that's a challenge because there's this, this very, very, very small percentage of the population that is running in a kind of unbanked, unsophisticated kind of corner of the world. And it's really challenging to try and make sure that enough is in place to stop them from being coaxed past all the signals. We continue to do outreach. We continue to talk to the news whenever they ask now. And those news stories do help. The other part that helps is when this happens to people in different groups, sometimes they're not too ashamed to just be pissed and just be in their group of people, their cohort and say, this happened to me. It sucks. Watch out for this. Don't let it happen to you. So we, we wonder as we look forward, like what level of safety we can expand upon and provide. And there's some discussions around ways to put in cameras so that every person that goes in and out of a property we have a record of, uh, put in two-way speakers at the door. So when somebody rings the door, instead of just giving them a code, we go, cool, you're at this. So you're talking to a person or have just even a a phone number on the door to access it instead of a code. So you, you call in and you say hello, and then we open the door. And while we're on the phone with you, we go, hey, be aware of scammers and fraud. Like there's a next evolution of this that is going to take more manpower, but can leverage some of these tools that are out there. Where that gets complicated, however, is that a lot of them require Wi-Fi or some kind of a connection where a lot of the doors that are code doors or the boxes that will give you the key need Wi-Fi. And in a lot of these homes, the resident when they move in is responsible for internet and Wi-Fi and TV and gas and electric. So they often don't have wireless in the home. We're looking forward to the 5G internet of thing devices because we think there's an opportunity there to put another barrier in the way to kind of add friction and go, hey, one more spot. I want to check and make sure you know we are representing this home. You should deal with us. If you don't call us and tell us, we will tell you if we're terminating with the owner. We'll tell you if the owner's terminating with us. We'll tell you what the situation is with the current residents. We'll, we'll tell you, Hey, you know, you know, they're not out for another two months. So that's when it'll be available. Uh, the owner is with us. They just moved over. So we've got them. And as we go through that, I think it's really important for prospects and residents to be aware that that is happening out there and these are real problems. I also think it's important for owners to be aware of what people are going through at the end of this. It's really challenging to be put in a situation where we have to evict somebody through 
not no fault of their own, but kind of this, this naivete and hope. We want hope in the world. We want people to be successful and be able to move into better properties. I think that's something nice in the single family rental market is that we find that people are aided by the communities that they're in. So if there's a really good school district and you can rent there, but you can't buy, all of a sudden your your kid and you have access to people you wouldn't otherwise. And it could end up with with better social economic out- outcomes. So there's that stuff. And that's what we're hopeful for. And that's what we really want to have happen. But we also recognize on the other side of this that there's people that have been defrauded and it sucks to have to go and tell them they can't live there and we can't help them with the money. If you're a resident and this happens to you, you don't have recourse against us because we didn't take your money. You have recourse against the person who defrauded you, which is extremely challenging because you often don't know who they are. All you have is an email and a phone number and those are often run up for a scam and last about a month and then they go away. Um, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. We've talked to law enforcement whenever we can and go, Hey, can you help them? And they'll take the, the information, but they don't do anything with it because they don't know what to do and they think it's a one-off. So let's talk about the 2021 numbers for internet facilitated crimes related to rental and real real estate fraud. This is from the FBI's numbers from the IC3, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. In 2021, almost 12,000 people reported losing $350 million due to these scams, which is 64% increase from 2020. So in Boston alone, 42, well, in the Boston division, which is Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, 415 victims reported 13 million, which is a 27% jump. 42 victims in Maine lost 489,000. 290 victims in Massachusetts lost 8.9 million. 41 victims in New Hampshire lost 2.5 million. 42 victims in Rhode Island lost 1.4 million. The actual losses are most likely higher, much higher, very likely, because many people are hesitant to report they were scammed. And they even go in here and they, they, Put these numbers in here and the FBI can't do anything either. They don't know what to do. Police don't know what to do. FBI doesn't know what to do. So it's very much on us to continue to build processes, procedures, and tools that can help avoid rental fraud and rental scams. Look, I know this is a complex issue and it really kind of heads in there and is in a funky spot because there's so much work to do. But what I will say is that we have the ability to do what we can do about it, and we will continue to do that. As a resident or a renter, be aware, be super aware. And as an owner, when you find somebody in this situation, be empathetic. There's not much you can do to help, but you can be compassionate while you're getting them out of the property. And that's what we try and do when we come across these issues. So. We'll do more on this. Um, I'll, I'll get I'll get some guests that have done it at other orgs and we can talk through it more. But for now, kind of think through the fraud process. And if you have ideas or suggestions or other things we can be doing to try and prevent rental frauds and scams, we're happy to hear about it. The National Rental Home Council is happy to hear about it. 
and we will do what we can to prevent this from happening. Um, as an owner, don't post on Craigslist and Facebook. Just make it so that any listing on Craigslist and Facebook is instantly suspect because there's no legitimate postings there. I think that they have opportunities to do stuff, but have made their marketplace really kind of broken, which is unfortunate. If you want our help, you can always bring your properties over to our platform and you can use our tools to prevent frauds and scams and support both residents, owners, and investors. We are at poplar.home slash pod. That's poplar.home slash P-O-D, where we offer property management services for owners and we offer properties for residents and we offer tools to get rental estimates and find out what you should be charging. We offer tools if you're a property manager to assess the value of your business so you can try and figure out what happens next with it. But any of those things you need, feel free to reach out at poplar.homes slash POD. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>